We adore you, Father. The ancient of days, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the unchanging changer, the Almighty God. We thank you this evening, Father. Thank you, Lord. We bless your name. We give you all adoration. We adore you. There is none who can be compared with you. In the heavens and the earth and beneath the earth, you are God. And there is none beside you. Take your rightful place, Father. As we submit unto you, as we humble ourselves before you. Acknowledging you, Father, as the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, the Lord our peace, the Lord our righteousness, Jehovah Sidkev. We bless you, Father. We bless you, Father. Have your way in us this evening. May your word come to us expressly without any interruption. Let your spirit flow. Let it let it just, uh, just love on us this evening, Father. And let us experience that grace that knows no bound. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody say it. Amen. Amen. Please, you may be seated. Thank you so much, worship team. Good evening all. <clears throat> I shared a message on Sunday that I titled A Charge to the Fathers. A Charge to the Fathers. So what I'm going to do this evening is um, I'm going to attempt um, a very brief summary and then um, touch on briefly on one of the areas that um, I didn't uh, have the time to to add flesh to. I just mentioned it last, I mean on Sunday, but it didn't um, tell us what I had in mind, what I had written down. Unfortunately, my time was cut from 50 minutes to 20 minutes. Imagine that, Pastor Tosin. <laughs> First of all, <laughs> We love you, brother. The passage that I used um, as a text was uh, Genesis 18, particularly verse, verse 19, uh, where God revealed to Abraham his plan concerning him. Uh, that passage reads, yes, this is reading from the message version, yes, I have settled on him. This is God speaking of Abraham, I have settled on him. Imagine God settling on you. I have settled on him as the one to train his children and future family. God settled on Abraham as the one to train his children and future family to observe God's way of life, to live kindly, to live generously, and to live fairly so that God can complete in Abraham what he promised him. That was uh, 
you know, the God-ordained destiny for Abraham. God-ordained destiny for Abraham. God settled on him to train his children. So first of all, first of all he wants to be a father. And I mentioned that um, the name Abraham, which was his birth name, Abraham, the first two letters is the Hebrew word Ab, which actually means father, father. And of course, God changed his name from Abraham to Abraham when he made that promise to him that it would be a blessing, it would be a great nation, that it was going to be famous, and not only that, but he would be if, um, a blessing to all the generations, all the, all the generations of the earth, the blessings to the earth. So we see that um, his, his destiny was, was embedded in his birth name. His destiny was embedded in his birth name. Names are important. Names are important. So we should, we should be careful how we name our children. We should consult with God so that we name them correctly. I had to change my name from Otu to Stephen. I didn't consult my parents anyway, but I consulted with God and changed my name from Otu to Stephen. If you know the meaning of Otu, uh, you, would, you would laugh. The other passage that we used was in, the, in um, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, um, and I'll read from the uh, New American Standard Bible. New American Standard Bible, it says, Parents, and then it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. Do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. And then in the message, it says, Fathers, don't exasperate your children by coming down hard on them, but take them by the hand and lead them in the way of the master. Take them by the hand and lead them. Um, saying, bring them up in the discipline and instructions of the Lord. I, I, I so particularly love how uh, Eugene Patterson, who is the author of the message um, uh, version, puts it there. He said, take them by the hand. You know, oftentimes we want to lead our children from the rear. You know, we give them commands and tell them to do it. We take, take them by the hand and lead them. Lead them. Take them by the hand and lead them. That is training, training, not just giving lectures or not just dishing out commands, but you actually leading by example. Amen? The, um, the word training or the phrase train up, um, I got an insight into what, I mean, the implication of that word, of that phrase, when I looked up the meaning of father, the meaning of father in Greek, the, the uh, Greek equivalent of the word father is the word peter, is the word peter. And then the root of that word, the root of that word denotes three, three um, functions, and that is upholder, a protector, as well as a nourisher. Upholder, a protector, and a nourisher. So we see 
This is one thing I love about these uh, languages. The Greek, the, the Hebrew, you can actually know the, you know the meaning of the word, the implication of the word by just seeing the word itself. The word itself. So peta involves three functions. Uphold, nourish, and protect. And that is a function, that is a role that we as fathers are to play. Is that the roles that we as fathers are to play in the lives of our children and indeed our family. We nourish them. The word nourish also means to nurture. And I said, I used to think that uh, nurturing was only uh, a role of the mothers. But fathers are to nurture. In fact, um, one of the names of God is Jehovah El Shaddai. As Hebrew, Jehovah El Shaddai, which involves the nurturing, making reference to the nurturing um, function of God. The, the, the uh, literal translation of that, uh, of that word is the many-breasted one, the many-breasted one, meaning a nurturing. So there is nurturance that is involved with fathers. They to nurture our children, not just providing you know, the basic things of life, food, clothing, shelter, but also to nurture them with wisdom, with wise counseling, godly counseling. Fathers are to protect their children as well as their family. Fathers are to do that. So not just protecting them from physical harm, but also um, through wise counsel, godly wisdom, we protect them from, uh, you, know, you know, the enemies. We shield them from the enemies outside, particularly the worldly values, uh, wrong thinking, wrong thinking, uh, wrong beliefs, the wrong values, core values that, uh, because people act out of what they believe. You know, they act out of what they believe. The Bible says, as a man thinketh, so is he. So if our children have this wrong thinking and wrong values, of course, it's going to excite their emotions, and of course, they're going to act out of that. And so we find our children with, with uh, crippled emotions and um, very, uh, you know, rebellious attitude, rebellious behavior as a result of wrong thinking. So um, fathers have to protect their children from those things Um, I talked about a case that um, I'm so familiar with um, with respect to my counseling. You know, the idea that most, what I found very common amongst um, the adults is the trauma that they face or the traumas that they experience when they were growing up, you know, the traumas. They have experienced, encountered terrible traumas, most commonly from abuses, usually sexual abuse, sexual abuse. The men, the, you know, the boys, you know, the girls go through such traumas. And it is the duty of the parents, particularly the fathers, you know, to protect the children from such. 
by godly counseling, discipline, to train them. I suggest that uh, you know, don't hide from them the teaching on, on sexuality. From the age of eight to ten, you should teach them on sexuality. You know, the godly wisdom regarding that aspect of their lives. Because if you don't, they're going to learn it anyway. Somebody is going to teach them. Either they learn from Hollywood or they learn from another wrong source, from their friends. So it's good that we teach them so they know how to interact with the opposite sex, not only with the opposite sex, but also with the same sex. Usually, um, the, the parent of the same sex has a greater impact on the a child, the parent of the same sex has a greater influence on a child of the same sex. Does that make sense? So boys, so fathers have a greater influence on their sons and mothers have a greater influence on their daughters. So we should relate and interact with them. Be interested in the friends that they bring. Be interested in the friends that they bring. I'm not saying that you should stop them from making friends, but be interested, know the kinds of friends that they bring, know the kind of influence that they exert on your children. Very wise counsel to our daughters so that they will not be victims of abuse. Should not be victims of abuse. Often I find that um, you know the women end up with very low self-esteem very low self-esteem as a result of, you know, inappropriate interaction um, with their parents, especially fathers. Very low self-esteem. And they don't know what abuse really, really means, and so they become victims of abuse from men in their lives, particularly their spouses. You know, victims of abuse, they become doormats. You know what I mean by doormats? You know, you know anything, you know, you want to do this? Yeah, you know, you have no voice. They become drummers. They cannot stand up for themselves. And of course, for our boys, we should also um, protect them through wise counsel, godly counsel, so that they will know how to treat, you know, women with respect. And it's usually through how you relate to their mothers because children often, they will do what they see and not what you tell them. They do what they see. So how you respect, how you treat, how you relate with your mothers, your wife, will be the way that your children, your sons will learn. And they will uh, mimic that uh, attitude. Amen? Um, if we don't discipline our children, we'll be in trouble. You know, the, you know, the Bible is replete, you know, the Bible is replete with um, instances where fathers failed in that respect. And of course, it always results uh, with a disaster. We see Eli, you recall Eli? Eli the priest who refused to discipline his two sons. His sons were dishonoring, you know, the Lord's offering. And he didn't do anything. The Bible just said that he, he, was, he was angry. 
You, know, you could be angry and do nothing. He did absolutely nothing. And the children continued. And what happened? They died. And even Eli himself also died. So this is disastrous. King David, we saw how David, King David, um, refused to discipline Amnon. You recall Amnon, the story of Amnon? Okay, one of his sons uh, who had an ancestral relationship with his uh, stepsister, with his half-sister, Tama. David, the Bible says, was just angry. He did nothing. He did nothing. And of course, this resulted in um, uh, seething anger in Absalom, who was uh, Tama's uh, brother. See, Absalom planned. He had this seething, repressive anger that he had for the half-brother. He planned his assassination, which he finally succeeded. The house of David was, uh, was a house of blood because of the lack of discipline. Now, the, um, the, the other passage that I used was uh, uh, Ephesians 6, and I, I just want to add some meat um, to that passage in about 15 minutes so I can open this up for, you know, for discussion. Passage says, do not provoke your children to anger. Do not provoke your children to anger. Now, this is so important, but it is one of the uh, one of those instructions that we so easily disobey, so easily flout. And the passage is specific to the fathers. I did some research to find out why fathers, because it's not only fathers that will invoke, or that will provoke or incite their children to anger, but fathers are used here because at the time, you know, there was this cultural setting of the audience to which uh, uh, Paul wrote this epistle. Fathers were in authority, and so, you know, the responsibility or the duty of disciplining the children rested on the fathers, okay? So mothers or fathers or any significant person in the person's life can provoke a child to anger. Now, the, the, the type of anger that the Bible ref, refers to here is a seething anger, a seething anger. It is a hidden anger, suppressed anger, anger that is just kept in there. You know, you've not allowed, you know, the child to express anger in the right way. And so he or she keeps it in there. Amen? So we are told not to provoke, not to incite them to this kind of anger. Now, note the instruction says not to provoke them, not to provoke them. You and I cannot prevent our children being angry. Can anybody prevent the children from being angry? They might just be angry simply because you've asked them to do a chore. Simply because you've asked them to do a chore, you know, which they don't like to do. Or maybe they are watching their favorite TV program and you ask them to do that chore. And then you see them, you know, they act it out. They, you know, they, uh, you know, you know, they run out of the house, you know, bang the door, or say things that, that are inappropriate. You see, so we cannot prevent that from happening, but we, can, but we can prevent provoking them 
to that kind of anger. And I found a few ways that we can provoke our children to, to a seething anger, a repressive anger. And I just want to share that uh, very, very briefly. There are, about, uh, there are various ways. But one of the ways I found was when the father is absent. When the father is absent. We have absentee fathers. They are in the house, they are there in the, in the home, but they are not there. So absent fathers. And this actually means not being involved in the lives of the children. They are just passive fathers. They don't spend quality time with their children. You know, our children being gifts from God are important enough to be around for. They're important enough to be around for. And then when we neglect spending quality time with them, uh, we are saying to them, and then this is for any reason at all. It could be you are the biggest evangelist, the, the most famous um, apostle. You're traveling the world over but we neglect spending quality time with our, with our children. They feel hurt, they feel angry, and they just feel like they don't matter, that what you are doing matters to them, matters to you than their lives. And this is what I have found out that, uh, at least from my little experience in counseling, that most of the men and women that have counseled they have this problem, relational problems with their spouses. And in, by investigation, they, you, know, they, you know, they tell me, I never had quality time with my father. I didn't have any quality time. Spending quality time with them. Number two, not allowing our children to express their anger. See, a child will be in a state of repressed anger if not allowed to express this anger in the right way. The Bible says, be angry and yet do not sin. So anger is not the issue, but what they do with the anger. See, um, instead of punishing the child when he or she verbalizes or acts angrily, acknowledge and respect the fact that they are angry, but discipline them for the inappropriate things that they say or do. So acknowledge the fact, you know, uh, whatever you might call it, joy. I know and I appreciate the fact that you are angry, but that is not the way you should talk to me. That's not the way that you should talk to your mother. That is, that is I think, a way that we should discipline them. See, I understand that you, you are angry. Acknowledge the fact that they are angry. They are humans. But let them know that the way that they handle that anger is not the right way. Amen? Number three, living with double standards. A father that lives with double standards. This will provoke your children to anger and might result in open rebellion. If it is not okay for children to litter their, their rooms, <laughs> um, it is not okay for you either. If it is... If you want them to care about the law, then you must keep the law yourself. Amen? If you are driving, if you are doing 90 miles an hour, <laughs> your children are watching you on the highway, <laughs> and then you tell them, you know, you, 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 you want to teach them 
on how to obey the speed limit. And then you are driving 90 miles an hour on the road. And if you want your children to care about God and church, but in your heart you don't, then who are you kidding? Who are you kidding? Number four, showing favoritism. Showing favoritism. This means favoring one child over another. Uh, you must love them. You must love all your children equally. What you do for one, you should do for the other or for the others. However, there are some children that may require special care more than the others due to, you know, for instance, health issues. They should not be denied that care. But I believe that you should, you should carry the other, you know, his or her siblings along. Amen? And other ways that um, I think might uh, invoke seething anger in children, like speaking, thinking, and feeling for your kids. Speaking, thinking, and feeling for your kids. Do not think that your children, especially when they are still young, cannot think or speak for themselves, or that they do not have feelings that can be expressed. Of course, they are endowed, they are all endowed by God with these qualities and should be given the freedom to express themselves, but not without some guidance. A counselor once told me that the reason he was rebellious as a child, at the age of around five, six, seven, was because his parents failed to acknowledge the fact that he was more knowledgeable than the parents thought. And these were his exact words. But I asked him his beliefs. These were his exact words. At the age of five, six, he said, children know more than their parents think. And he had this belief at a very early stage. And personally, I, I, was, I was a victim of this kind of treatment from my mother. Uh, she felt that as a young child, I was incapable of thinking and speaking for myself. And so she had to fill in that role for me. Well, she had good intentions, but wrong understanding. I wasn't, I didn't end up being, re, you know, rebellious, but I believe that uh, my mental and emotional growth uh, were somehow affected, stunted, as a result of this. You know, she was trying to protect me, but it was overprotection. Violating children's boundaries, which is important. We violate our children's boundaries. You see, your kids, after a certain age, understand privacy. They understand privacy. Please respect their privacy. That way, you not only teach them how to establish appropriate boundaries for themselves, but to respect others' boundaries. Do not enter their room when the door is closed without first knocking on the door and obtaining permission before you enter. How many parents do that? <laughs> Please, respect their privacy. Another way is um, shaming our children shaming them, shaming them by what you say to them 
or how you act towards them. An example, I will give you an example, still from my counseling. An example is name calling. A counselor told me that his mother nicknamed, nicknamed him short man devil. That's my water. Short man devil. And she even told, she even told him that, oh, I found it, thank you. She even told him that, that he found him in a trash bin. He found him in a trash. This was at the age of seven, seven years old. And the mother just a day after his birthday, and he, and he remembered it so succinctly and found it in a trash, in a trash can. And this boy believed it. He believed it. No wonder he was so rebellious. So, don't shame your children by name calling. It just leaves that repressed anger. Now they try to show this anger and they cannot. And guess what? At the least provocation, they vent this anger towards somebody else, maybe in the school, because they can do so. And it's no wonder some of our children, we get bad reports from schools about uh, the behavior of our children. Fathers are also husbands. In an ideal family situation, you know, fathers are also husbands. So let me just mention one thing about uh, you know, the role of fathers, I mean, the role of husbands in the home. We are to love our wives unconditionally. Ephesians 5, 20, 25 to 33 spells out exactly how husbands, as how men as husbands ought to relate with their fathers, loving them unconditionally, cherishing them, respecting them, sacrificially relating with them. He says, love your, love your wives as Christ loves the church. And so if you want to know uh, how Christ loved the church, how to love your wives, then how does Christ love the church? As husbands, we are also leaders, leaders in the home, the head of the household. You know, that word head doesn't mean you are the boss. It means that you are the leader in everything. You lead spiritually, relationally. You lead in loving. You lead in caring. You lead in serving. You lead in sacrificing. You, you lead in discipline and so on. You are the leader in the home. And in this task, the mother plays a supporting role. See, the Bible says that she, you know, your wife is a help that is meet. It didn't say a, a help mate. You know, I don't like that word mate. You know, you know, a classmate. What do you do with your classmate? You compete with them, right? So it's not a help mate. It's, it's a help meet. In other words, a help that is suitable for you. A help that corresponds with you. 
your wife is not your mate because we compete with our mates. So the mother plays a supporting role. She's a help that is suitable for you. And the roles must never be reversed. Hear me. Those roles must never be reversed. In other words, the, you know, the mother now becomes the leader and then the man now plays the support role. That was never to be the case. The role should not be um, reversed. And mothers should also remember that fatherhood is an office. It's an office with delegated authority from God. And that they are equipped, that the mothers are equipped by God to submit to their husband's authority. Now, to submit is not a bad word. And that is what, you know, most, you know, the, some people out there in the world want us to believe that being subject or to submit is a bad word. The Greek word actually infers you voluntarily bringing yourself under the authority or under the cover of another person. That is what that word means. So think of an umbrella, a cover, and then you voluntarily bringing yourself under that cover. That is what being, being subject or submit to your own husbands. In any way, you know, it begins that, you know, the verse that talks about being subject or submitting starts with, we submit to one another. Husbands and wives, they submit to one another. And in particular, it says, wives, bring yourself, bring yourself, voluntarily bring yourself under the cover of your husbands. Amen? Finally, um, I wrote here, you can't, but God can through you. You can't, but God can through you. The task of a father, the role of a father, and even parenting um, is not an easy one. You can't, you cannot do it in and of yourself cannot accomplish the task of fatherhood the way that God approves. Only by God's enabling grace can this task be accomplished. A father must completely depend on Christ's indwelling life, walking through him to accomplish the task the way that God wants it. Victorious fatherhood comes through our absolute dependency on the enabling grace of the Holy Spirit. I say the password to a victorious fatherhood is I can't, but God can through me. Amen? God can through me. So I open this up for, for discussion, questions. Questions and Peter, Peter in Greek, Peter, P A T E R, P A T E R, that is in, uh, in yeah, P A T E R, that is in uh, Greek. 
in Greek, Greek in the Greek language, the root, the root of that word is not Peter, Peter, P-A-T-E-R. A-A-T-E-R, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The root of that word, the root of that word signifies those three functions. Uphold, protect, uh, upholder, protector, and a nourisher. So we talk about, you know, paternal, patrilineal, and uh, all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Greek language is really rich. It's rich. So from, uh, you know, from there we get our paternal. And that's what. Yes. Let me ask, what are some of the ways that you think we could provoke our children, incite our children to seething anger? And by the way, uh, you know, repress, to repress anger is not, is not the way to handle that emotion. <laughs> so we understand that. It's not the way to handle that emotion. You repress it, it's going to come out somehow. It's going to come out with an unrelated circumstances, you know, very unre unrelated, with the least provocation. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I, I, can, I, I can identify with that because I remember, especially my middle son, I found out that I began to get into the grace message. I'll I didn't help him in terms of handling of his emotions. If, for example, he comes back in maybe I scolded him for something, and he wants to show an emotion of anger, I will tell him, if you dare. Oh, wow. Almost like I'm talking to you and you're getting angry. What in the world came over you? Yeah. And the truth is, it was later on you found out that. Um, As he grew up, the best way now for um, <laughs> particular day. Talking too low? Is this better? Yeah, is this better? Oh. <laughs> so I was saying that um, the way I handled him growing up, yeah. um, I can identify what you're saying, is that he comes back from school, or maybe something happens, and I'm scolding him, and he's showing some trace of anger. Yeah. I get angry back and say, "Don't you dare express any anger at me." Yeah. And later did I know the damage I was doing to him emotionally until one day just a very slight matter nothing big at all and I just went off the edge going whoa what happened to you it was later on I began to understand so it took a whole lot to try and fix all of that damage that was done 
Um, to where now he's free, I mean, the boy just expresses himself anyhow, anyway. But I thank God that I, I kind of arrested it early enough. It wasn't as if it was after he's left the house, you know, he's no longer with us. You now find out he's not able to handle relationships because of these and that. But even sometimes I still see we struggle with it. Um, but somehow God has helped um, along the way. So, I mean, I can relate with that. Thank you. You want to say something? Sure. I, I do. I, um, you asked what are some ways that we can provoke yes, yes. our children. And um, I think one of the, the, the one of the things that I've struggled with is um, I'll try to make my son feel the way the way I felt. Um, for instance, um, I didn't have a lot growing up, so I was more grateful for certain things. And it's so frustrating for me to understand why he may not react, you know, to certain things the way the way okay. I do. And, and um, that's something that I've really been kind of working on, mm-hmm. but trying to, I guess, force a, a type of, of, of perspective um, can really drive a child the opposite way, yeah. you know. Yeah. So Paul says, you crush their spirit. You crush their spirit. You know, was the, you know they are faced with, with an overwhelming emotion, pain, you know faced with that. Yeah. yeah. So children, you know, they grow up like this chap that um, I talked about where the mother called him a uh, shot man devil. Terrible thing. That guy had this seething anger in him. And he openly tells me that he was, he was rebellious. I mean, rebellious. You can't I mean, if you do anything against him, he will fight back. If he doesn't fight back then, some other time he's coming to get you. He tells me of, um, of uh, you know, a boy in school that uh, threw a stone on him and the, and the stone kind of hurt his head. <clears throat> it took him six months, <laughs> six months. When he was okay, he went back and if he broke, he said he broke into their house and dragged him out and beat that boy. Yeah. Seething anger. On a scale of zero to ten, where zero is no anger, one is low anger, ten is rage. By the time he got to the age of twelve, he's... Uh, his anger in the, in, the, in the scale was already eight. So imagine that your anger level is already at eight. You only need two levels before you blow up. So any small thing, it goes up. And people didn't understand until I'm still, I'm still by, you know, by God's grace talking with him so that he can really understand where that is coming from. Very serious thing. Amen? No questions?
All right, so we can end here. <laughs> Let us pray. Father, thank you. Um, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. That um, it is your grace that has kept most of us. It's your grace that has kept most of us. Indeed, all of us. Um, so we just, we just, we just thank you that um, that you overruled, as our heavenly Father, you overruled most of the things that we heard or we that we faced when we were growing up. You overruled, and your grace had always been sufficient. If we were to, if we were to live out of the beliefs we had or the emotions we had or the mental abuse that we experienced when we were young, we would be nowhere. But your grace has kept us. So Father, we thank you. And with the same grace, Father, we will relate with our children, those that you've brought under our custody those that you have freely given unto us to be a blessing unto this generation. By your grace, we will lead them by the hand. We will lead them by the hand in your own ways. We give you praise, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.